Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America Wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Welcome back everybody. Second hour of Oilers Now. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you in this hour for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication and solar, Brian Burke, and uh, also George LaRock. We heard Louis DeBrus talk a bit about uh, Joey Moss. We'll continue on that conversation most certainly uh, with George. We will tell you that the second hour of orders now is brought to you by Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these challenging and uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. To our River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline, we welcome back to the show, Longtime NHL executive, now with NHL hockey on Rogers, and certainly a man who has an appreciation for uh, inclusivity, and that is something that the Edmonton Oilers uh, illustrated with Joey Moss back in 1985 and uh, ended up having a 35-plus year relationship in the process that was special and something that uh, has really been highlighted and, and frankly, been talked about, uh, Brian, over the course of the last uh, couple days here since Joey's passing. We've had Wayne Gretzky on and uh, your old friend Kevin Lowe and uh, cast of thousands, and there's uh, Dwayne Rollison did the show who used to work in the Ducks organization. It just shows you the impact that people can make on each other's lives, doesn't it? Yeah, everyone knew everyone knew Joey. Everyone liked him. Everyone respected him. It was a great thing the Edmonton Oilers did, uh, putting him to work. He was a great asset to their hockey team. Uh, it's sad news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes of teams. And we've talked about this before. I mean, you you are a guy that. I, I, did you have to push? I don't think you had to push your players to be involved in charitable organizations. This, this you know, I, I've always felt the, that hockey guys kind of get this, don't they? Yes. And it was a point of emphasis on my teams, and we demanded that players do a lot more. I remember once Kenny Holland called me from Detroit, and he said they're driving us nuts, all these requests for appearances. Um why don't you send me your schedule for the next month? And I sent it to him, and he said, forget it. He said, this is way worse than we do. So um, it, it's it's important. But I think we reflect back on Joey Moss. The fact that the Oilers at that 
there was an early time where you would put someone with a disability in a position like that. It was a pioneering move and a great move, and it was, you know, like I say, a sad day. Well, and the, the irony is that it happened on the day that the story, Joey passed away, the day that the story broke out of Arizona involving Mitch Miller, and that has seemingly appeared to have come full circle. I'm sure you're aware. The uh, Coyotes have now renounced the pick. Uh, it's an awful story. Um, involving a you know a, a, a challenged uh, black boy and really an African American kid and really discouraging on a number of fronts. Um, and one of the things that needs to be mentioned here is if it had involved a, a couple Canadian kids, we legally would not have heard about it, Brian, because of the uh, Young Offenders Act in Canada. So it is it is kind of. Anyhow, the, the Coyotes, have, did they have any other course of action other than to do what they did today, do you think? Well, I haven't. I did a little digging on this when it first came out because I wanted to be able to discuss it intelligently. And frankly, I didn't get anywhere. I mean, so okay. uh, this was disclosed to all the teams. His agent sent an email to all the teams making them aware of this. So all the teams were aware that this existed. Now, in a subsequent letter that his mother posted online, uh, they, they're claiming right. that the, the blowing occurred at age 14, but she said it continued for two more years after that to age 16. And that the judge in the case said that he, while he said he was contrite, he didn't never directly apologize to the young man. So it's all disturbing stuff. Um, I'm glad Arizona has taken this step. And uh, it, it, it's, I hope this young man can sort out these demons and get on with his life. Yeah, well, and and yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm a I'm a little surprised that Arizona didn't dig on this one because I can, like I, you know, Jerry Johansson who's out of Edmonton here. So I, I, you know, I'll talk to. He has camps, and we t we do a a conversation, and we we bring in a couple players. Sometimes it's been Colt Breco a couple times, Johnny Boychuk about being a player, but we also talk a bit about the responsibility of being a player and uh, and being careful in terms of the positions that you put yourself in. And we talk about social media. You know, like you, you think of what guys got away with in the 1980s, and, and we're kind of talking about fun stuff, like you know boozing and that sort of stuff today you can't do that because everybody's got a camera phone and i i actually think that today's player is more aware and more on top of it and and in many respects uh more aware of various unique challenges that other people have in their respective lives than ever before you know what i mean brian so i i, I gotta tell you i was a little surprised that this occurred yeah i i was too and disappointed i mean it's just disappointing i I was disgusted when I heard it was a mentally impaired young man. Right. And and then when it turns out there might have been a racial bias as well, I was sickened by the whole thing. So uh, just inexcusable to me. And anyone who stood around and watched that happen should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, it's just it's just uh, it's such a sad, uh, despicable story. All right, so let, let let's move along here, Brian. Um, it's it's an interesting time, and I you said last week 100% we're going to come back and play. Gary Bettman, Elliot Friedman pointed this out on Friday. I mean, his State of the Union address before the Stanley Cup final, he guaranteed we'd have a 2021 season. Uh, we did see some challenges with baseball in terms of the relationship between the Major League Baseball Players Association, which historically has been quite confrontational, dating all the way back to the days of Marvin Miller. And uh, Major League Baseball, um, how 
difficult you think it, it's going to be in terms of the negotiation process between the NHL and the NHLPA here in terms of the money? Because there's not going to be a lot of it coming in, Brian. No, and, and this this is where both sides have to be pragmatic. And, and the cap on escrow this year was designed to make sure the players didn't take too big a haircut in year one in the hopes that the TV deal in the U.S. could come forward in a year and, and take some of the pain away. But the fact of the matter is the revenues are going to be slashed if there's no fans and slashed slightly less if there's uh, socially distanced fans. But we're a long ways away from being back to normal, and that reflects on the bottom line. They're going to have to get creative here and figure out a way to move forward. We have to play. If we don't play, people find other things to do. Even in Canada, they find other things to do. It's very important that we have this season, even if it's a modified season, even if it's a Canadian division only, uh, even if we play 60 games, even if we move in and out of bubbles, uh, we've got to find a way to play. Do you think most agents get that too? Because the agents obviously have strong communication with the respective players as well. Well, you don't have to be a math a professor to figure this out. The league's revenues, about 50% of a team's revenues come from the gate. And then if you factor in suite revenue, in-ice uh, advertising, dasher boards, parking at some buildings, uh, but live gate accounts for right around 50%. It's not precisely 50%. If you take away half the revenues from a team, you don't have to be a math professor to figure out that it's going to impact on what you pay your employees. And I'm not just talking players. Like It's going to affect GM salaries, coaching salaries. A number of scouts have already been fired by teams. It's going to produce contraction within the industry at every level. So the players are going to have to be part of the solution, whether they like it or not. And I'm not saying that threateningly. I'm just saying it's realistic. They're 50-50 partners with the owners on hockey-related revenue, and that's that's the, the bed they're in. Uh, there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. You have a 32nd NHL team coming into the mix. That means there's going to be 23 more jobs out there. Seattle is uh, going to bring in some expansion money, albeit that tends to favor ownership uh, in terms of the current structure of the deal. Uh, but it will also assist in enhancing the U.S. television package because I think it's fair to say Rogers is paying the freight from a national perspe- uh, perspective in Canada. So where I'm going with this, Brian, is short-term pain, long-term gain? Is that how you'd sell it? Well, I, I don't – the way – when the pause happened, yes. The answer to the question is yes. When the pause happened – the players owed the owners, based on the revenue-sharing formula, $600 million. Okay, so everyone gets the math. Yep. $140 million of that was paid back by the players not accepting their final paycheck for the season. So $140 million was knocked off that. And then I'm told close to $200 million in revenue, broadcast revenue, that would have been forfeited, was salvaged by the league doing the bubbles and holding playoffs and so on. So if you recover out of $600 million, you recover $340 million. That leaves $260 million. If I'm, I'm, I'm not a great mathematician, but so that's the deficit going into the season. And then they said, okay, we want to cap this. We won't want the players to take too much pain in year one, so we'll do a 30% rollback, a 10% deferral, and 20% cap on, on escrow. So based on that should produce um, – Obviously, significant savings also, but it doesn't solve the problem if you only play 60 games 
the proration aspect has to be addressed as well. Players are taking a pay cut, but if there's only 60 games instead of 80, there's another reduction. So they're going to have to get together and figure this out. They are 50-50 partners. And if 50% of the revenue disappears, guess what? They're responsible for half of that. Is it a easier model to figure out because it's 50-50 than Major League Baseball? Because it seemed like things were quite contentious in the negotiations between like Rob Manford and Tony Clark, who heads up baseball's PA uh, earlier in the spring and summer. Right. And, and I, my prediction is that at some point, uh, it's the only team, only team sport that doesn't have a salary cap, and they fought it mightily for decades, like you said, very contentiously. My prediction is that this is probably going to result in a salary cap for baseball at some point. That's just right. a layman's observation. Yeah. But to me, look, we're we're in a tight spot here as an industry, and, and no different in broadcast industry. There, we had a couple of people let go last summer. Uh, w- the wages that are being paid aren't the same as they were, so everyone's suffering. A lot of businesses <laughs> are suffering. Players in the league are going to have to sit down and figure out how to move forward in this new world. Yeah, well, and again, at the end of the day, it's still a privilege to work in the league, to play in the league, to work in the league. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it right. really it's, it, it, did, when you would go and speak at conferences and people would sometimes, uh, you know, ask you about career advice for people that wanted to get in the, the hockey business, I'm assuming you told them, hey, you're never going to get rich doing this, so you better have a passion for doing it. Well, what I told them was, you better assume you're going to fail. Whenever <laughs> I speak at a law school or business school, I mean, this is a small industry. I mean, it's a bigger industry than people realize when you take in the, the business side of the business and the television side, the banking side. But teams themselves are small employers. And so I tell, I would tell people, even at Harvard Law School, assume you're going to fail. Have another skill that will put food on your table. But if you want to try and make it in hockey, go for it. Yeah, interesting. Hockey Canada today announced their invite list. Uh, for their 28-day training camp that's going to be in Red Deer. As you know, the World Juniors are in uh, Edmonton. Two-parter for you. Number one, how much did you keep an eye on whether or not your prospects were in the mix with the respective national uh, or you know organizations for the respective teams? And we watched all that like a hawk. Did you ever politic to get your guys in a better position? To make some of those, to be uh, No, I, I, I would never bother Tom Rennie with something like that. That would be a waste of his time, in my view. Okay. I think he's got bigger fish to fry than that. But certainly, if someone, I've had conversations with different federations when a guy was left off that we thought should have been on. So did you, did you think about this guy that we have? Did you think about Joe Smith and get some explanation for why he was cut? Yeah. Well, and again, it's interesting. They got a 19-year-old guy that they've they've got two 19-year-olds, one goaltender, and a, a centerman out of the Quebec League uh, that went through two NHL drafts that did not get drafted, and then they've got first-round picks, not in goal but uh, as forwards that did not get on the invite list from the 2020 NHL draft. I mean, that that might raise uh, raise certainly would raise if you're Doug Armstrong and you have Jake Neighbors who's with the Edmonton Oil Kings and he doesn't get invited to the team as a first-rounder, and they've invited a guy that's gone through two uh, rounds of the NHL draft undrafted. If I'm St. Louis, that I'm, I might be putting a call in there in that situation. Agree or disagree? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, there we go. I would make that call. That's different than lobbying. Right. I would call and say, what, what, what are we missing? Yeah. All right. Uh, no scouting 
allowed in for the World Juniors? How like you've you've overseen organizations? Don't you kind of like it's a big part of scouting, isn't it? Seeing them good, like actually being at the games. I, I know you can do some video work, and a lot of the stuff that's done now, especially Brian at the lower level, like not the Power Five conferences in, in NCAA football, but some a lot of that other scouting is actually done. Now the combine matters way more in the NFL too, but it's done through video work. Is it harder to do in hockey? Do you think if you're not in the actual buildings? Well, this going in person. I mean, I think people should realize what a scouting trip is. Like when I went to scout a game, say I went to Barry to watch Rasmus Anderson. So I would get there at five o'clock and fight the traffic from Toronto, leave by like three, three thirty, and get up to Barry at five o'clock. Go and meet with Dale Howardchuck, the late great Dale Howardchuck. Talk to the coach like 10 minutes in his office because they have their meetings at 5.30. Then I'd go down the hallway and talk to the visiting coach. I remember one night it was Jody Gage who was coaching Peterborough. Talk about their players. Who do you like? You know, Who on your team should I watch? Get your finger on the pulse. Send them each a handwritten note when you get home that night. Drop it in the mail. And then I'd go and sit by myself and you know, the Zamboni be out there. The rink would be empty. It was my favorite moment of the day to sit in an empty building. And then the game would start and then we go home. Now, the video scouting, you don't get contact with the coach. You can't stick around and talk to a player that you've already drafted after the game. And you can't measure things like body language on the bench if the coach hollers at him or if his defense partner makes a mistake. Does he lean over? Is he empathetic? Does he lean over to him and offer some support? There's things you cannot learn video scouting that are valuable in the arena. Even watching the warm-up, for, for one thing. See how a guy prepares. But it still has great value. So, you know what I would say to my scouts? This is the world we're in right now. And the teams that adapt, it's just like the bubble. The teams that went in with the right attitude in the bubble had the most success. And this is what I'd say is this is our, the world we live in. It's 2020. Nothing is the same. And nothing's ever going to be the same. So this is what we do. Let's do the video scouting better than anyone else. Brian, we love having you on the show. I know you're making the rounds doing the book. Uh, let's stay in touch, okay? Thanks, Bob. You bet. For Canadian Power Pack, that is Brian Burke. And uh, Brian Burke's appearances on Oilers Now are brought to you on a weekly basis by the folks at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Rob Kinsey, uh, the... Fine uh, people at Canadian Power Pack and Alberta-owned and operated company. We'll take a step out, and then I am uh, going to have a education on a legal term and provide some clarity for you coming up on Orders Now. Hi, this is Leon Dreisaitl from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6:30 Chat. The future is pretty bright when you think about it. Not a lot of other teams can say they have two general, uh, two hard trophy winners under the age of 26 in their organization. But the Oilers do. Uh, to an email that was sent in uh, to my globalnews.ca account uh, comes to us courtesy of scott he says hi bob listening to your show just wanted to let you know that it hasn't been the young offenders act for about 20 years it is now the youth criminal justice act 
and Scott's a prosecutor, so he took the time to reach out. Scott, thank you very much uh, for the clarification on that front. Tough, tough story. Awful story uh, involving what transpired uh, with the kid, uh, Arizona draft choice. And again, the Coyotes have now renounced that pick. Uh, hey, Bob, quick question. Are there any updates on Connor McDavid COVID-19 recovery? Uh, well, Tim Shipton, who is in the Oilers communiques, their VP of communications, he did speak out a week ago and said that Connor's doing fine. So that's that's that for what it's uh, what it's about. <laughs> Stephen in BC says, Bob, excellent segment with Brian Burke today. Would be great if you had Brian Burke and Don Sherry on your show discussing hockey before too much time goes by. Thanks from Stephen in BC. Well, I mean, I, I kind of think that in many respects, Brian Burke has sort of replaced Don Sherry, though there's a different philosophical approach to a number of issues than Don. Um, so take it for And I know there's a lot of people that like the brutal honesty that Don Sherry brought. And there were many people that were politically sensitive to what Don Sherry had to say. Um. Brian is certainly more politically sensitive. I think that's a fair assessment, but certainly brings it in terms of what he has to say. He's been a terrific. The term in our business is get. He's been a great get for our show over the course of the last couple of years, and we will tell you that that is going to continue. Thanks in large part to Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction service and electrical prefabrication and solar. To the orders now, injury report or the injury report for hockey in general. It's brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Brendan Escott, what you got? Nothing. I got nothing for you on the injury. Uh, well, that's that, that's good. I mean, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the way it is. I have a different thing that I think we're going to uh, do carrying forward here, maybe starting next week, uh, Brennan. So we'll discuss that at some point uh, because there's an opportunity to to sort of, you know, you have to adapt. And I'm sure Trent Brown, Jim Brown, and the gang, at James H. Brown, personal injury lawyers, uh, will be more than open uh, to the path that we're going to go for the next couple months in that regard. Do you want to mention that Uncle Milt down at Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin was telling me the other day that uh, he needs used vehicles. Normally, Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin has about 50 to 70 units. They're now down to about 10 to 12. They need some trades. And not only will Ford Motor Company give you a trade-in bonus of up to $2,500 for your 2016 model or older, but Brent Ridge will pay top dollar for any trade just to restock the shelves. Go see Uncle Bill, Rich, Johnny, and the gang at Brent Ridge Ford, your Ford truck authority on the Auto Mile in Wetaskiwin. It is 128 in Edmonton. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back, George LaRock. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.